Ah, uh, yes, indeed. It is Morning Drive, Hour 2, live here on a Tuesday edition of the show. Nick Braden, D-Mace Marquise, ESPN 102.5 The Game. All right, so let's get to a little college football here for the next 30 minutes or so. And um, I feel like a lot of people, and I, I think to, to, to a larger extent, most people are right when they say this, college football looks like it could be a little bit more wide open than in years past. I think you can make the case, Bama, Clemson, LSU, Georgia, uh, we'll throw Ohio State, Oklahoma into the conversation, that you know some people believe there are six teams that have a case for number one. Let me just pump the brakes on that for a second and throw out two teams that I will not make a case for number one because of the quarterback and the coach. Mm. Tell me if you guys agree with this. Mm. I will not go. O- I will not go. O- um, I will not go Ohio State, and I will not go LSU for the simple reason. He's going right at you, D. I yeah. have yet to see Burrow and Fields, Day and Orgeron in pressurized moments of consequence. Well, well, LSU has the biggest win in all of college football yes. on the road. I'm talking about when we talk about playoffs. Sure. December, January. Right, I think that's fair to to make that case about Ohio State. Like I've they, seen, I've seen Saban, I've seen Dabo, I've seen Lincoln Riley in a playoff game. He's lost every one. I know, mm-hmm. lost every but single one of them. Jalen Hurts, I've seen him do it. He's got a national championship. Mm-hmm. I would say Oklahoma is in it. I would say Ohio State, LSU, just on the outside. Because I have yet to see them against those types of I, moments. I'll let you. Uh, I'll, I'll let you handle Ohio State, Derek, because I know you're you're about to <laughs> what you're about to say over there. I, I think you, you. It's hard to argue against LSU. I mean, they have the singular best win in all of college football right now. That was the game in September. Though. The, the road, the road win at Texas. Well, we're we're August first. I mean, no, that's all, no, we have, all we have is September. I, I agree that Ohio State, Ryan Day, Justin Fields haven't done it against anybody of meaningful note yet. Now, Cincinnati's a good team. Nebraska's an okay team. They have not done it against an elite team. Joe Burrow threw for almost, what, 500 yards on the road against a top-10 team and got his team a W. Uh, I, I think that that is enough proof for me to suggest that he can hang with people. Now, LSU's got five huge games left to go. All these teams have huge games left to go. My, my argument would be more so against Oklahoma. Not the quarterback and the coach. They're amazing. They will never win anything of meaningful importance in a championship setting <laughs> without a freaking defensive line. It True. will never happen. Their defense, they don't have the players. Ohio State's defensive line is 10 times as good as Ohio, as Oklahoma's defensive line. So I agree with your concerns about Ohio State. And, Does and, Oklahoma's and, defense just only have like three-star guys? Like, why is it? <laughs> or is it the conference? <laughs> I mean, because they recruit not, at a high level, right? You're not really that wrong, to be honest with you. They they recruit like. Do they have fours and fives on defense? They, they have fours, but they're kind of low-level four. Like the War Daddies go to SEC schools and sure. and Ohio State, and and that's like Texas's defense right now is 95th in the nation. In terms of defensive efficiency, uh, Oklahoma's defense is in the the high fifties and sixties in terms of defenses. Stop me if you've heard this before. Oklahoma has the best offense in America, and they're pretty bad on defense. Have you heard that before? So I still don't know if Hertz and Riley, as great as they are, in a championship setting, playoff game setting, can overcome their deficiencies on defense. Because to your to your question, Nick, they do not recruit the dudes on defense the way other teams especially in the southeast including clemson that, that they recruit on defense like those guys have dudes ohio state has dudes on the defensive line and until oklahoma shows me in a championship setting which they have not done since 2000 that they can win a game in a championship national championship setting I, you know I, I don't trust their defense to ever hold up even against georgia that when they went to overtime a couple years ago 
they're they're they got destroyed on defense, and Georgia's defense beat them in the second half handily, and that's why Georgia won the game in so the playoff. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little mm-hmm. dig here, D Mace, to get his little feelings hurt with Joe Burrow. Did you say Texas was 95th in defensive efficiency? Well, because of what Joe Burrow did to him. I mean, that's that's okay. that's the chicken and the egg here. Okay, because I was going to say, then, if Joe yeah. Burrow lit up Texas and Texas well, is 95th defensively, are we really giving Joe but, Burrow a ton of credit? But the, but the 45 points. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but it's why. So Joe Burrow gets the credit for why Texas is okay. 95th in efficiency. Now, we'll find out. Again, this is all so early. Like uh-huh. it, Some of these teams may fall by the wayside. Auburn, for example, could fall by the wayside. I think Wisconsin's going to fall by the wayside. There's a lot of teams that are going to lose some games, and some of them could be these six teams we're talking about right now. I think you can make a case for all six teams to be number one. I wouldn't, but I think mm-hmm. you can. And you certainly can make the case for Ohio State. They have been the most dominant team of any team in America on both sides of the ball so far. Yeah, they have. And, you know, if you watch what Ohio State's been able to do um, from a – really from a defensive standpoint, uh, they have dudes across the board – I mean, in the secondary, defensive line, linebackers. This team is reminiscent of the teams, what, three, four years ago uh, when they won the, what was it, four years ago, five years ago when they won the national championship? Yeah. Um, That they had NFL players on both sides of the ball. Everywhere. And and you're talking first, second rounders just everywhere. Michael Thomas, Zeke Elliott, Joey Bosa, Von Bell, Marshawn Lattimore. This team reminds me of, man, they are a – and and then they what what makes it even better is that they have a quarterback that can throw the ball like legitimately throw yep. the football and legitimately run the football. They have a yep. three headed monster in J.K. Dobbins, Teague, and now Justin Fields, Teague's a good running back. Too. And yeah. Teague, they have a one two punch, a power guy that can catch the ball out the backfield, and then another guy that just shifty and he can do everything in Dobbins. And when he throws it, they have five dudes. Yeah, it's just they don't target one guy. You know whether it's uh, Olive or Olave or whatever his name is, <laughs> KJ Hill. You know they, they've got six different guys they throw the ball to pretty routinely. They have a bunch of speed on offense. They have a bunch of speed on defense. They're physical. Um, I think Ohio State. Obviously, their test will start um, this week. You know, playing Michigan State. I think they will beat Michigan State. Um, Michigan State no. offense is just. You wait, they, you're picking against Sparty. I'm not going to – my heart says hey, – They're Sparty, a 21-point favorite. But, I mean, looking at both teams, I mean, if you can't stop Indiana, what makes you think you're going to stop Ohio State? Um, and, and, and Ohio State beat Indiana 51-10. to 10 Exactly. A couple, so, couple weeks ago. I mean, this Ohio State and, – and, and I know what, you're, I know what you're, you're saying as far as Day hasn't proven it. He hasn't been in a national championship game. Justin Fields hadn't proven it. But here's the thing. Day was a part of a national championship team, okay? He understands what it he understands how to play the game. He understands. I'm trusting that he's learned enough from Urban Meyer that that when put in that position, he has enough athletes. Just let your athletes play the game. Call the plays that you were going to call. Let your athletes make the plays. And Ohio State have a bunch of them on both sides of the football. So, to me, Ohio State, I think I had it yesterday. I think I had um, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. I had Clemson right outside my top uh, top four. Ohio State, to me, is the second or third best team in the country right now because they've been able to do it on both right. sides of the ball. And, and, Nick, your question is fair when asking about national championship settings, right? Like, can Ryan Day scheme – 
in a semifinal against Alabama or Clemson or right. Georgia or LSU? Can he scheme in a moment against an elite-level opponent to win a championship game level game that's a fair question to ask we have no idea that's not really what we're talking about right now what we're talking about is who is number one right now and could you argue that Ohio State has been the most dominant team they're top 10 in offensive efficiency number two in the nation in defensive efficiency and they have played a quote-unquote tougher schedule which this boggles my mind than every other team in the top 10 except for Auburn Auburn's the only team that has a quote-unquote tougher schedule than Ohio State to date I don't understand that necessarily because Cincinnati and Nebraska are their best wins, whereas LSU's schedule strength is listed at 95th, and they have a road win at Texas. So I, I don't. The scheduling is going to really play itself out as we go. Um, I, the one I would bring up is why everyone is punting on Clemson right now after one sort of mediocre performance against North Carolina. They are 13th right now in offensive efficiency in the country, 7th in the nation in defensive efficiency, and they have also played a tougher schedule than Alabama, Georgia, Wisconsin, Penn State, Oklahoma, LSU, Florida. So a lot of people are ripping on Clemson right now. Their efficiency numbers are better than almost every team that they're that we're talking about here, and they've played a tougher schedule. So I, that's what I don't I'm, – I'm not sure why – I think people are – Missing the forest through the trees on the defending champs who haven't lost in but over two years. At, at the end of the year, that schedule is going to be very weak. Yes. Because I think the only yes. team left that they play that's ranked currently is Wake Forest. Right. Yeah. And we know they're... You know. Yeah. Now, now, Florida State's better this year than they were last year, which is an improvement. That will increase their strength of schedule. Um, and then maybe a Virginia game in the ACC title game will inc- increase their schedule. You're right. Their schedule will go down. So we need to see them be more dominant as the year goes along. But if we're just talking to date, which is all we know... If you look at them to date, I do not understand. I think there's a recency bias of, oh, they didn't look great against North Carolina. But, again, they looked they, – they won by – how many – what did they win by? 40 points against Syracuse on the road. They won – they beat Texas A&M handily. There was yeah. a backdoor cover. Basically, it was 24-3. to three. They yeah, basically they, they dominated that game. They, they have played a tougher schedule and have better efficiency numbers than even Alabama does right but, now. And so people are just like, oh, we're going to punt on Clemson. And it's, uh, you know, I don't the think numbers it's, say otherwise. Yeah, I don't think it's – I think it's how Clemson has looked at times. Um, you know, there are many that still believe Clemson will be in the playoffs or might end up being in the national championship game. But I think it's been, you know, how they've looked at times, how the quarterback looked, even though I still believe he's the best prospect out there. It's how he's looked at times. Um, and and that's what, when I'm looking at these four or five teams. Do you think Dabo's team, do you think Dabo's trying to fight complacency amongst his I think players? He, I think like, he are is. they bored? Yeah. I think he is, especially their conference. The problem is their conference is not that good anymore. How do you get up and, for Boston College? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, if you're yeah. in the SEC, at least Alabama, they got this stretch where they're going to have to get up and play. If they don't, then they might end up losing to LSU or Auburn At A&M. or a You know, they have to. Yeah. Who, I mean, Tennessee. I mean, Clemson, Tennessee can yeah, beat them. Clemson don't have As long as Clemson <laughs> go out there, it's like they're going to win. Um, but I look at I look at Ohio State, and you say, well, their defense. Well, I believe in Greg, Greg Matt Madison. He was at Michigan, 
Very he good, had a very really good, good defense at Michigan. I was with him in Baltimore. He was one of the defensive um, guys. He was a defensive line coach in Baltimore. This guy is a he's a defensive guy. He knows defenses. That's why I think because now adding him to the mix, this defense of Ohio State is going to be back to that aggressive type of football that they were once at a few years ago. That yeah. they sort of kind of got away from last year. They're back oh, to they, that aggressive type of football, and then their offense is lights out. I'm telling, you, be. Don't be surprised if Ohio State's in the national championship. I, I, I mean, I listen. At right again. All we have to go on is the data right now. But right now, Ohio State has been the most dominant, complete team of anybody in America on both offensive and defensive sides of the ball. But what? Who? Like, is Cincinnati and at mm-hmm. Nebraska their best two wins? Yes. So they like this weekend will be a much bigger test for the for the offense in particular. Let's find out what Ryan Day and Justin Fields can do against a very good Michigan State defense. You know, we'll find out. Then they got to play Wisconsin. Then they got to mm-hmm. play like Ohio State. Every one of these teams has all this stuff moving forward. But the the one that gets lost in all of this shuffle, too, by the way, is Georgia. Georgia has a top ten win at home, and then they have abused everybody else. I, I still think Georgia is going to win the whole thing, but you know that that's just me. Well, isn't it funny uh, too we're, how we're you overlooking Georgia? You have a bye week, and everybody forgets about you. Yes, yeah, like two weeks ago, Georgia beat Notre Dame. They were to talk of college football. They smothered the Irish. They have a bye week, and it's like they don't even play the sport anymore. Well, and, and their games are – listen, they've got Missouri, they've got Florida, they've got Texas A&M, they've got Auburn. So Georgia's got games too. So every one of these teams, man, we're going to learn everything we need to know. I, I, we can – I still would put all my money on Bama and Clemson. <laughs> like I'm still – I don't – I think we're overreacting to five weeks. I still think Bama and Clemson are the teams to beat. Um, I, I, I totally get LSU, Ohio State. I totally get Oklahoma, and I totally get – um, uh, uh, Georgia, but well, speaking of Georgia, if you love trench warfare, the oldest rivalry in the South, when you get Georgia's offensive oh line against Auburn's defensive line, get the ice baths ready, man. Is that not going to be the trench battle of the year? Uh, yeah, I mean, has to be right. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you've got probably two first round picks on Auburn's defense and probably two first round picks on Georgia's offensive line. Go yeah. ahead, go, you know, just. Literally running into each other for three and a half hours. Sign me up. All right. Coming up next, speaking of being signed up, would you want to play for Mike Leach if he called you fat, lazy, and dumb? We're back after this on Morning Drive. All right. Welcome back in 719 Morning Drive live here on a Tuesday edition of the show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll tell you how you can win a pair of tickets to see Nashville SC in action. Speaking of being in action The Washington State Cougars have been in action the last couple of weeks, and it hasn't really gone well for Mike Leach and his program. They blew a massive lead against UCLA. They lost 67-63. 32-point lead. 32-point lead. I went to bed, thought it was over, checked my phone the next morning. I thought it was a typo. They gave up 50 points in one half of football. Yeah. That's hard hard to do. Yeah, and UCLA stinks with Chip Kelly, and they're dropping 67 on you. Uh, then this past week, Mike Leach and the Washington State Cougars lose to Utah 38-13 to in a Pac-12 game. And then afterwards, the head coach, and I guess the question is, does he cross the line? And as a parent, would you want your kid playing for him? Let's take a listen. Here's Mike Leach criticizing his players and, in my opinion, crossing the line with two of the three words he uses. Well, we're a very soft team, you know. We get a lot of good press. We like to read it a lot, pat ourselves on the back, you know, and if we get any resistance, we fold. And what's amazing about this is um, uh, most of these guys were on the same team last year that was a tough team, 
last year's team was a tough team for us. And uh, we got nearly the same guys, and now all of a sudden they're not tough. You know, they're fat, dumb, and happy and entitled. So, Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm hmm. cool with entitled. Hmm. I'm cool with happy. And I'm not a politically correct guy, as you guys know on this show. I say some <laughs> things that people are like, ooh, did he really say that? We, I think we are an anti-PC show. Yeah, I would I agree. Think, uh, uh, but I, I think calling, and I know they're 18 to 22-year-olds, and they're technically men, and they're technically adults. I think calling them fat and dumb is crossing a, a boundary. It, it doesn't look good, right? Um, it, it's not a good look for your program. It is something, if I was a parent and, and my kid was a recruit, I would say, you know, are you going to you know, call my kids out publicly? Um, now I do think there's some of this that is, you have to consider the source to some degree. If I don't think that if Dabo Sweeney said that it would be taken well, I think if Nick Saban said that it would be taken, I think he would be roasted over the coals. If Jim Harbaugh said that he would be destroyed by the media. I I think there are certain coaches because of their goofy track record that they sort of, you have to kind of consider the source. I don't think Mike Leach means any harm by what he says, but sometimes he crosses a line into territory where you go, um, it's just kind of weird, insensitive, it's a bad look. You didn't take any of the blame on yourself, really, as a coaching staff to say we didn't, you know, we have contributed to the idea that this team is soft. It's on us to make them a tougher team. You, you can't just blame the players all that. So it's not a good look. Now, it's also just sort of his M.O. It's Mike Leach's M.O. He's a weird guy who says weird things, and sometimes it comes off as very insensitive. Here's one from, like, nine years ago. I think this was 2010, and if you haven't heard this at all, you'll enjoy it. This was Mike Leach also insulting his players, and apparently they're girlfriends. As coaches, we failed to get through to them. As, as coaches, we failed uh, to make our coaching points and our points more compelling than their fat little girlfriends. Now, their fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages. For one thing, their fat little girlfriends are telling them what they want to hear, which is how great you are and how uh, how easy it's going to be and how, you know, uh, you know, we had, we had, you know, we had a whole bunch of people. Everybody wanted to win the football game, but nobody wanted to play the football game. Well, I, I mean, that defies every level of uh, work ethic that exists with regard to football. And uh, as coaches, we have to solve our failure on uh, on reaching them, and uh, the players have to listen. And I, I'm willing to go to uh, fairly amazing lengths to try to make that happen. I don't know if I'll be successful this week or not, but. But, you know, I am going to try, and there will be some people inconvenienced. Uh, and if it happens to be their fat little girlfriends, too bad. <laughs> First of all, see, but here's the, the thing, the though. Idea that the, fat, the fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages. Oh now, you guys are laughing about it. And, and Mike Leach is this social media sensation where every time he talks, he acts real goofy. And maybe he's not acting. He just is a goofy guy. Yes. Should that give him a pass for when he says that his players are fat and dumb? So, uh, no. But... Now, we all have a friend, male friend, in our friend group that can get away with whatever he, he does. Like, he's married, and all the wives are friends, but there's one of them. Do you guys know what I'm talking about here? Like, like there, there's a group of friends that we all have that we're all friends with, and there's one husband that can say and do basically anything, and all the wives just are like, oh, it's just John. He's hilarious. And, like, if I did those things... My wife would punch me in the face. Oh, it's just Mike being Mike. And walk off. So, like, it, it, there is different, there's a different standard for different people, and it's sometimes it's unfortunate because you've built up this thing for yourself. Mike Leach just presents things in a different way than everybody else. 
It's why he's. It's why he lives in Lubbock, Texas, and Pullman, Washington. He he likes being in these outposts. He's a weird guy. He's very smart. I think cross. I think that crossed the line calling their girlfriends fat and and fat little girlfriends. I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> not only, like, I think it's funny, but it's not nice, right? It's not a nice thing to say, and it's you know, calling your players fat and dumb. It's not a good look. Well, I but mean, for some reason, Mike Leach gets away with it. It's it's an indictment on if he says that it's an indictment on him and the coaching staff because didn't he recruit these fat dumb kids? Well, he's coaching them, too. and he's coaching them. So when you call them those names, you're calling yourself. The same thing because if you're not what what is the saying if you're if you're not if you're not coaching it you're allowing it to happen or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. well if you're allowing them to be fat and dumb then that's just your that's your fault too right I mean because you're in charge you're, exactly you're yeah. in charge you're there to teach them um, you went out and you recruited these individuals now do I and 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 and, and maybe his players. You know, some of them got to be upset. You know, I'm not fat and dumb. Blah, blah, blah. I know some like of them. Like his players said, aren't fat, and but dumb. It, like, it, and not. they know that. And and some of them might take offense to it, and some of them might laugh, and you know, just say, "Man, coach is tripping again," and kind of dismiss it. I want to see how is he with his players, um, and if if he has that relationship, because I've always said this, and and this is why. You know, when Nick Saban or Dabo or someone else, because they invest in these kids' lives, yeah. like truly invest. So if they say something, I'm not going to get too outraged because they're there with them. They're investing right. in their lives. So maybe they could say certain things that to to them that we might think is horrible, but that kid might say, you know what, that's what I need. And, you know, he knows what he's doing. The fat and lazy again. It's an indictment on you if you're if you're yeah. calling them that. Then I you're allowing them to be that. The, the, you know that's the way I look at it. The two biggest differences between the two cuts there of audio is is the is the the one in 2010 when he's talking about the fat little girlfriends. Mm-hmm. He's he 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 immediately starts it with we didn't do our jobs as coaches. Mm-hmm. And when you start things with we didn't do our job, you're sort of taking the blame, and I don't really mind anything else you say after that because you're kind of saying, listen. It's our job to do X, and then you explain X. Mm-hmm. In this this newest one, he doesn't really ever take accountability as a coaching staff to say our responsibility is to make sure that they are playing with energy, playing with toughness, and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I also think you have to sort of it's like he doesn't actually mean that they're fat and dumb. I, I think he might mean they're entitled because they all are, but I, I, you know, there's. But clearly, he doesn't like He's the fact that his his players have bought into some hype, yeah. have been reading press mm-hmm. clippings, so he says it the way he says it, a fat, dumb, and entitled. It's a shock factor. Whereas Nick Saban's going to say, it's rat poison. Rat poison. Right. And, exactly. And, but think, think about Derek Mason and Vandy. Like, if he had come out and said, like, they played slow against Northern Illinois, and, mm-hmm. and, and he comes out and he says, man, these, and he goes on a spiel about how the, the team isn't tough, the team is soft, the team is this. Not me, not us, not the coaches, but the team, team, team. Mm-hmm. And these fat, dumb, happy, entitled players aren't getting the job done. I, I have a feeling we would destroy Derek Mason for that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's maybe not fair that Mike Leach has sort of built up this caricature of himself that he can get away with saying this stuff. And maybe that's not fair. I, I, there is a history, too, with Mike Leach. The reason he left Texas Tech was Craig James's son was put into a closet because mm-hmm. he had, a, had, had concussions issues. And, you know, there's some disinformation there about how that all went down. 
by and large, having worked with Mike Leach, I will tell you, I, be- I believe Mike Leach cares deeply about his players. I think he cares about it. I, like, there is an investment, like you're talking about, Derek. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's one of these jerks that doesn't care about his team. I think he cares about his kids. And if I felt otherwise, mm-hmm. then I might be more critical of what he's saying. Because then I'd be like, well, dude, you're kind of a jerk, and you're calling him out in public. N- nothing of what you're doing right now makes sense. But but the closet story with Craig James's kid was a big story. Yeah, but a lot of it, there, there's again, there's a lot of misinformation about that. A lot of it was Craig James was running for office in Texas at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, if you want me to call a spade a spade, I'll. I'll Craig James was. Now, do you lock a kid in a closet? No. If, if that's actually what happened, that, that's a terrible decision. Mm-hmm. But when you have a concussion, you need to be in dark ropes. Like, that's just sort of how you have to handle treatment of a concussion. So um, I, I think Craig James, there's some, you know, there was some. Um, because that's what they, they do sort of, now. Back yeah, then, like they, they, it wasn't a big thing. Put him in a dark room when you have. Yeah, now it's like, stay out of, you know, I think he was dim built, lights and everything else. He was kind of blowing it a, 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 a little up out of proportion because he happened to be running for office in the state of texas i believe that's my personal opinion but right now it's your chance i'm a fat dumb happy and entitled radio host (laughs) hey i'm all for it fat dumb and entitled if you can get by do it would you trade fat and dumb if you were unhappy if you Uh were super here's a weird question if you were super unhappy in life Mm -hmm. would you trade being fat and dumb for happiness so uh, wait, so, so say this so again. You're, you're going to be. Fat. This is like a Josh Upton stick exactly, sports question. Yeah. <laughs> would no. you rather be dumb would and entitled? Rather, would you rather be in shape and smart, but unhappy, or fat and dumb and happy? Fat, dumb, and happy. There you go. See, it's not that hard. Absolutely. Nah, I wouldn't rather? want to be fat, dumb, and happy. So you'll take the unhappy. You'll be unhappy, but you're in shape, and you're smart. Yeah, man. I That's what he is right now. I, I, I just can't, I'm kind of with you, be, I can't be fat and dumb I can't and be unhappy. That's just the dumb thing. Yeah, right? exactly. The dumb thing is what gets me. Yeah. Hey, you, you ever see Billy Bob from Varsity Blues? You think he ever <laughs> had a bad day? This is the difference between Nick. Nick yeah, is, Nick Billy is Bob like, did have it. He almost died. Yeah, and it's true. Exactly. Nick, so he had a bad day. Nick is just like, give me happiness over everything. Exactly. <laughs> I have twin daughters. Give me happiness. It's give been a long time joy. since there's been happiness. <laughs> wow. All right, here we go. Your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Nashville SC take on Louisville City FC at First Tennessee Park on Tuesday, October the 8th. Just be caller 5 right now, 615-737-1025. Caller 5, 615-737-1025. You will get a pair of tickets to Nashville SC. We're back after this with more Tennessee Titans talk here on ESPN 1025 The Game. It is morning drive, ESPN 1025 The Game, coming up in 10 minutes. Eight sizzling and not-so-sizzling takes on your Nashville Predators, courtesy of Adam Vingan. We'll get into that, see if we agree or disagree with some of his astute observations from The Athletic. But right now, a couple of minutes here on the Titans. One of the things we started the show with about an hour and a half ago was, first of all, the Tennessee Titans getting Taylor Lewan back at the facility. Uh, but secondly, when you look at this team and the whole mantra of good to great, here comes the Buffalo Bills. Well, if you want to be a playoff team, there's an adage in the NFL that you got to stack wins together. And now's the opportunity to stack those wins together because the schedule sets up for them to do so. I, I agree. If you if you want to take this step, and I don't think good to great is what you're going to figure out in this stretch of games, but Dent, Buffalo this week, even though they're three and one and a very good defensive team, I think most of us believe that the Titans might be the better team, especially with Matt Barkley at quarterback. Should they win that game at Denver, 
who, by the way, just lost Bradley Chubb, that one of their two outside pass rushing studs to an ACL tear, so he's done. The Chargers are probably a better team. I don't think that's you know a stretch, and they're coming here, so maybe the Chargers are favored. But then you get Tampa Bay at home and at Carolina. Now Carolina's playing; they're really good on defense, but they've got Kyle Allen and no Cam Newton. Those five games, if you want to be a playoff team, you need to win these. You need to win more than half of these games. Three and two almost is not good enough. I think four and one should be the goal. And I know that sounds like a lot to ask of a team that's been very inconsistent on offense. But what are you going to be this year, Tennessee? If you are going to be the more consistent playoff team that's trying to go from good to great, this is a chunk of time on your schedule where it sets up for you to win some football games. 50-50 games. Almost every game in the NFL is 50-50. But you should win some of these games. And especially, I mean, Tampa at home, Denver, Buffalo. Like, you should win against these teams. Teams, Carolina, that no one picked to make the playoffs. I, I don't know. This this strikes me as a time of year that the Titans should be rounding into form. You get Lawan back. You're fairly healthy right now, knock on wood. Am I wrong to look at this chunk of schedule this next month of October and say, Guys, you need to make up ground because you're 0-2 in the division. Does it simply, Mace, does it simply come down to the quarterbacks you're facing? I mean, you're going to see either Barkley or Allen. You're going to see Kyle. You might see two Allens in five weeks, Mm -hmm. which nobody thought we would see. Uh, Jameis kind of looks like he's a little rejuvenated with Bruce Arians. Uh, Rivers is obviously a Hall of Famer. What, what, What Joe Flacco do you get? Do we get Joe Flacco yeah, that Derek Mason loves or the one that hasn't won a game this year? Yeah, you got a point there. Um, you know, you can't put the last game on them. They just gave it up at the end. Um, he, ain't getting, he ain't getting any younger, though. Yeah. Um, Denver's yeah, lost eight straight games dating back to last yeah. year, in case you guys don't know. Denver, I mean, Kyle, Kyle Allen has played really good um, for the Carolina Panthers. Um, and and I know they are pleasantly surprised with that because when Cam goes down, you don't know what you're going to get in your backup. But Kyle Allen, uh, kind of like um, Mitchu, has come in and really done a good job. And and what have the Titans done against backup quarterbacks this year? Loss. Oh, and two. Yeah. So I <laughs> <Great>. mean, <laughs> you know, you try not to look too far ahead, but uh, I mean. You have the next one, two, three, four, five. The next five games, you got three of them at home. Um, so you try to protect home field. So if you protect home field, then you figure, you know, you got three wins. But in, in those three, you got the Chargers who, you know, you hadn't been able to beat the Chargers for nothing. I mean, no, you have games won with the Chargers that end up losing. Um, so they've just been your Achilles heel um, since hell. two thousand. 12, somewhere in the, around there, they haven't been able to consistently beat the Chargers. Um, and they're getting Melvin Gordon back. Absolutely. So, I mean, you look at the schedule and you say, this is this is the point of time where, you know, the whole good to great, it has to show up, man. It, it really does. Because after that, you got the Chiefs, you got the Jaguars, you got the Colts. You're talking two divisional games. Um, two with Houston and, you got and New Orleans Indy at the end. At Indy. Yeah. Um, I'm not looking at you. Don't know what Raiders team you're going to get. You might get a Raiders team that that's right. rejuvenated, and you know maybe they're in a the playoff hunt. Maybe they're not. Um, so you just look at it from you look at you try to take it game by game, and this week is going to be a true test because here's here's the thing that 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 happens. Um, Marcus has a good game. The offense has a good game. Then all of a sudden, everybody like. Whew, okay, 
we're good, we're good. And then he follows it up and offense follows it up with a bad game. And we're trying to figure out, well, which one are we getting? Let me remind you people, and this is not an, I'm not saying the Titans did what they were supposed to do. The offense did what they were supposed to do. AJ, AJ Brown had a really good game. He's starting to show, he's starting to show that, you know, that second round pick, he might be the real deal. They were going against a poor defense. They were going against a defense secondaries I can probably beat at this point in time, and I'm 45 years old. They played off coverage. They played bail coverage. They get, I don't know why they just allowed Corey Davis and A.J. Brown to run scot-free because those guys are good players. Now, they probably hadn't played up to the caliber of some of the really good ones, but they are good players. They can catch the football, and you just let them catch it. Well, and, and how pathetic is it? And I know Sticks defense, you bail all of a sudden. But that third and 13 or whatever it was third where, and 15, yeah. where Corey Davis caught that Just ball. Just wide open. They looked like they were in prevent defense. They were. That's the way it seemed. Yeah, they were that at is the, such a losing. And I know there's percentages and everything. That's such a losing mentality. See, I don't have a problem. See, third and 15, I have no problem because the Titans did the same thing. The difference is the Titans are good at coming up and making the tackle. Yes, so they're the, good so at the, making the tackle. And their defense is good. Like, Muhammad Sanu caught a pass on, I think, third and 15 and got to the 13-yard area and then like three titans crushed him exactly and it was fourth and one and that led to a stop on the next play so i don't have a problem with playing third and 15 a looser zone defense i think that's a sound strategy but you got to come up and make a play and that's what i said don't i don't want people to look at what they did against atlanta and say all of a sudden now we've arrived the offense oh for sure yeah atlanta was a bad defense i i want i want to see them do it against top notch defenses which Again, part of this conversation about this month, Buffalo, Denver, and Carolina, just those three. Yeah. Those three have really good defenses. Exactly. And are going to play the same way the Titans play. Exactly. But the Titans are better on offense than those three teams, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, Christian McCaffrey's great, but if Cam Newton's not playing, I, I think the Titans have a better collection of offensive weapons than, than across the board than Carolina. They're, they have better collection of players than Buffalo on offense. I think they're a more talented offense than Denver. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean Denver doesn't have some pieces that are better. Whatever the Chargers are clearly better at almost everything. Maybe the defense is better for Tennessee, and Tampa Bay probably has a more explosive offense than the mm-hmm. Titans, without question. But also turns the ball over like crazy, exactly. and Jameis makes mistakes. I just look at the schedule at this month of the year, and I go, if you want to make something of this you season, have you have to do yeah. it now because you don't know what the rest of the season holds. And look at Jacksonville's schedule coming up over the next couple of weeks. Who has a tiebreaker on you? They get Carolina this week. Mm-hmm. Same thing. They're going to play the same style. New Orleans without Drew Brees. Cincinnati's awful. Mm-hmm. And the Jets. So that's the four, next four games for the Jags. You can see the Jags going 4-0 yeah. in that stretch. So you're going to have to make some ground up right now. You have to keep pace or make ground up. Now, the Colts and Texans have tougher schedules right now. Mm-hmm. You know, Kansas City for Indianapolis this week. Kansas City and Atlanta for Houston the next two weeks. At Indy for Houston. Uh, there, there's tougher games on the schedule for Houston and Indy, so you can make up ground on them. But Jacksonville has a chance to win four straight here, mm-hmm. maybe maybe six straight if you count the last two. So you have opportunity here. There's no such thing as an easy game anywhere in the NFL, but this stretch does look like the area where you need to make some ground. Coming up next, our buddy Adam Vingan from The Athletic put together a handful of hot takes for the Predators' 2019-2020 season. We will kick around a couple of those on the other side and see if we agree or disagree and just how hot those takes are. We're back after this on Morning Drive. It is Morning Drive. 
It is hot in here. D-Mace fanning me off. <laughs> he took his shades off, too. He did. He, I'm putting them back when, on. By the way, when Derek Mason said, man, I'm 45 and I could go out there and beat that secondary, he had his sunglasses on, by yeah. the way. Yeah. It wasn't that bright in the studio. Just no, letting you know. Sometimes your star shines so bright, you just got to wear the shades yeah. inside. My future's so bright, I got to wear, wear shades. I wear my sunglasses at night so I can, so I What was that song see. in the 80s? Who sang that? Was it Sting? Not Sting. Um, no. Corey was, something? Corey Hart? That's, there you go. Yeah, I Corey think that's Hart. right. Uh, it's good work by me. All right, Preds fans. I, don't know if that was, I thought you. that was Sam Bowie for a second. Not Sam yeah. Bowie. Um, Sam Bowie, the guy who yeah, was taken ahead guy. of Jordan in the draft? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bowie. What's not David Bowie? Not David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie. Yeah. David Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. Bowie. This is Bowie back to Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Preds. Go ahead. All right, Preds fans. <laughs> if you want to go to opening night at Bridgestone Arena, then stop by Cool Springs Wine and Spirits today, located at 1935 Mallory Lane in Cool Springs, and sign up to register this afternoon. Jared and the GM will be broadcasting live from 2 to 6 and giving away those tickets to the Minnesota Wild on Thursday night. So our buddy Adam Vingan, who joins us usually every Wednesday throughout the hockey season, put together a hot take column for The Athletic. So let's just kind of rate the fire to some of these takes. I'm going to give you three or four, a couple that stood out. And you guys tell me uh, if it's a hot take or not, if you agree, disagree. I'll leave it up to you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, the Predators will have a 70-point scorer for the first time since 2007-2008 when Jason Arnott and J.P. Dumont were the most recent players to do so. I don't think that's a hot take. I think nah. that, I think is now health is an issue gotta, there. Yeah, got to stay healthy. But you know, I don't. I don't. You know, Victor Arvidsson could lead the team in goals again, and I'm not sure he's going to get to 70 points. Um, His candidates he puts down are Duchesne, Granlin, Forsberg, Arvidsson, and Johansson. Yeah, I mean, I would, Joe, Johansson, Forsberg, and Duchesne are like there's there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You can, in fact, I think. There's a level of expectation that is growing with Philip Forsberg in particular, and I think should be growing with Johansson and Duchesne considering their price tags. If you're going to make $8 million a year, you need to play like an $8 million a year player. And Duchesne hasn't, we haven't seen him in a game yet, but Ryan Johansson had one of his better seasons last year. He needs to shoot the puck more, I still think. I think we've been saying that for, for years. He played a more consistent regular season last year than I think we've seen from Johansson in, in the years past. I think ex- expecting a 70 point season out of somebody. I think that's a fair thing for Predators fans to do. I think the, the, So you the, say not a hot take. No, I think somebody needs to go. In fact, I think somebody should go out and do that this year. Uh-huh. If you want to win a cup and compete with, with the best teams in the NHL, you need to have a, an elite scorer. Okay. Second one, D-Mace, uh-huh. Philip Forsberg, or Victor Arvidsson will become the first player in franchise history to score 40 or more goals. Hot take or something to it? I, again, they got to stay healthy. 40 goals is a lot. Uh, RV led the team, what, last year, 34? He had 34 goals um, last season. That's a lot of goals, man. And the way that the Predators play hockey. But he missed 20-plus games. I know. The way they play hockey, they try to distribute amongst their 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 scores. They just don't have – they try not to just have one guy that they rely on. Um, now, if Victor stays healthy um, – the bullseye is going to be on his back this year because people know now he's a, a legit scorer. So the bullseye is going to be on his back. Um, you know, the line change might affect that. Um, you know, in regards with Victor Arvidsson, um, will they have a forty goal? Which one will it be? It could be either one. 
But they got to stay healthy. That's the yeah. big thing. You got to stay healthy because if you start missing games, then, you know, it goes from 40 to 34 to 30 to 25. It, it, it's hard to break a franchise's single season goal record while missing 25 games. Exactly. And that's what Victor Arvidsson did last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, his pace was 48 goals. So had he played all 82 games and played at the same pace that he played the 58 games he played, he would have scored 48 goals last year. Mm-hmm. So he was a, he was ba- almost a 50-goal scorer last year in terms of his rate. Um, I, I still think Forsberg is, is the guy here. I, I still think the, the, the guy with the most talent, the most physical ability, and the most upside – has always been Philip Forsberg. And so if it's 70 points, if it's now Johansson could – I wouldn't be surprised if Johansson never got to 70 assists. Uh, you know, I, I know it's a lot, but could he do 15 goals, 70 assists? Uh, that That's not out of the framework of possibility for a player of his talent and his contract at $8 million. So um, I think Forsberg get to 40. That one's a little bit harder for me to see than I think 70 points. 40 goals is a pretty nice number, um, and this team doesn't necessarily – lend itself to feeding one guy. Arvidsson just is so, like, recession-proof that he got to 34 because he's just Arvidsson. Like, so I, I would expect Arvidsson to repeat and be a 30-goal scorer again. Mm-hmm. One or two more from Adam Vingan's latest at The Athletic. Eight or so sizzling takes, or not so sizzling takes, for the Preds' 2019-2020 season. His next one, and he rates this as a five-fire take. Oh, so Kyle, very, yeah, very Ky- fire. Kyle Turris struggles again and is traded by the end of the season. I don't think That's Kyle Turris being traded is that big yeah. of a hot take. I'll take it a step further. I think he's traded before the deadline in season. Well, isn't that what he's talking about? No, oh, he says at the end of the season. Oh, at the end. So the year's over. He's played a season. He gets dealt. Here, here's the problem. If he if he's worse or as bad as last year, you're not going to get anything in return. And what you need for him to be is a, you need for him to be better so that you can trade him, but not too good so that you keep him. <laughs> if if you think Kyle Turris needs to be moved, but let's just say if he's playing he's relatively answer, well, and the trade deadline comes up towards the end of the winter, beginning of the spring, mm-hmm. and they've got certainly a ton of depth down in the farm system right now. Tolvanen, Pitlick, you name all the other guys that we've discussed. And let's just say he's remotely valuable to somebody else, and you don't feel like you're going to really miss a beat for the stretch run. I mean, if he's if if what you've done has helped and worked, uh, and he's playing well, why trade him? Uh, why upset the apple cart? Why you know try to fix something that's not broke? If he's playing well, because that's that's the goal to get Kyle Turris to play well. Oh, PK or, Subban had a really good series against Dallas. He got traded, but that but we he know, had a young, uh, cheaper guy available. Exactly, exactly. Like if you don't think the fall off from Subban to Fabro is that much, so you make that deal. Well, then the same could be applicable to Kyle Turris at six million. If you think you know a guy like Tolvanen or Pitlick can come in and do the same job at well less than six million, why but, don't you do it? But your goal is to if he's playing that. If he's made that much of a difference, um, then why trade him? And you're trying to win a Stanley. Well, no, Cup. no. If, like if he's having a monster year, I don't trade him. Uh-huh. But let's just say he's better than he's been. He's you know he's okay. So uh, we might need to have a, a, a more extended conversation about what do we think Kyle Turris is for this team moving forward. And mm-hmm. I personally. I don't, you know, I, I think he is far better a player than what he gave this team last mm-hmm. year. 
And then I think he will – I think everybody in life regresses to the mean. So I think he's – in everything that we do, I think he will regress to the mean, which for him would be get better this year. Mm-hmm. I do not think his particular skill set is what this team needs. I, I just don't. They have a lot of skinny 5'11", you know, mm-hmm. six foot, 190-pound guys that can't stand in front of the net. They got a lot of those guys. I don't need another one for $6 million, even if he does play good or play well. So if I'm David Poyle and he plays well enough, I might look to move him anyway because, A, his value then is increased, and mm-hmm. I might be able to get something different, which we talked about last year, is a big physical net front presence. This team still has that issue because Simmons and Boyle are gone. So they still need a – like that is still going to be a thing we're going to talk about this year. Is who Kyle Turris is not going to go stand in front of the net. He's too small. He's not physical enough. He's a sniper. That's why I moved him to the wing. Can Matthew Shane do that? Maybe so. Probably so. For $8 million bucks, you better especially if you're going to be there in the power play. But I, I, th- there's a larger discussion about what we feel Kyle Turris should be for this team, regardless of how well he plays. I don't think they get rid of him. I think he plays well, um, and they keep him, uh, at least until the season ends, um, because they they're gonna they want to win a Stanley Cup, just like every other team. And if he gives them another score, another guy that a team has to worry about, then they're not going to move him. They will wait to the end of the season to move him because I think if he plays well this year, regardless, maybe they get more from him for him at the end of the season than they would in the middle of the season. Yep, it's possible. All right, here's what we got coming up in the final two hours of the show. Our buddy Chris Mason will stop by at 9.30. Also, one man believes that Jeremy Pruitt is, in fact, already on the hot seat at Tennessee. But on the other side, uh, if you have access to Twitter, uh, you know, on your smartphone or whatever way you'd uh, access social media, you might want to pull up 1025 The Game on Twitter and take a look about nine hours ago at some graphics that were released about a stadium in Nashville. We're getting into that next on Morning Drive.